Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Frank Curtin. Frank has been working as a business consultant for over 25 years. His consulting firm is called High Speed Consulting, works with dental practices all over the U.S., Today, he joins us on the Financial Flossing Podcast. Frank, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here, Ross. Thank you. All right, let's jump right in here. So you started as a consultant working for IBM years ago. Kind of tell us your story, how you got there and how you ended up where you're at now. Sure. Uh, When I was in uh, my undergrad, I was a geologist and I I graduated in 1987. And, you know, so I started in the environmental consulting field. So I was a project manager in there. And I quickly learned that at being a geologist in an engineering world, I had cap. I was There was only so far you're going to go as a geologist with engineers around. They all have PE certifications. Sure, I had a PG. That didn't mean anything in the world, though. A professional right. geologist certification meant nothing to anybody. It certainly didn't translate into my bank account. Let's put it that right, way. Right, right, right. So I identified a need that uh, I really ought to go back to my roots. I'm very good with numbers. I'm very good analytically. And I thought, you know what? I need to go back and get an MBA. So I went, originally I went to Harvard and I got a uh, graduate certificate in in administration and management. Thought that might've been enough to catalyst me, you know, just having the Harvard name behind you. A lot of times that opens doors. And then I realized once I got those, that, that certificate under my belt, there are, there's a, a whole level of learning in the MBA programs across the U.S. that I thought I really need this. So I went to Ohio State and got my MBA. That's what opened the door into my consulting world. So what happened was I started uh, as an intern with IBM over my first year, Uh, loved working with them, got to work with some amazing people and amazing corporations. Uh, So I graduated with my MBA in finance and logistics. That was kind of like my background, if you will, logistics being the supply chain side of things. So I really got good at systems and processes. And I worked with a lot of organizations, big boys, you know, the Fortune 100, Fortune 500, Fortune 2000, uh, very big companies, very, um, uh, very uh, well established. And I remember almost every time we go into these corporations, you know, if you're coming in on the front end, the first question they always ask these hundred year old companies is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember them always asking and that always stuck with me because it was like everything changes fast. And now with technology, back then, now this is IBM in 1997, 98, 99, 2000, so this is the Y2K era. And they're saying everything's changing fast. Look at what's happening today. So I look at the speed of change that's going on. And so it, it taught me the lessons and the principles that taught me out of that was the little guy who doesn't have a lot of access to people like myself, who don't, who don't have access to large Bain consulting or IBM consulting or people like that. They're out there trying to make their way and become the next you know, success story, if you will, and do that. And nobody's out looking for them or nobody's out you know, looking for their interests and helping them out. And a lot of times they don't even know they need the help that they need. They're not aware of it. And so I, I identified with that. So by hooking up with different industry groups, I was able to work 
as a direct referral source uh, from, from a lot of these guys who were, especially in the dental space. So started out with a lot of real estate companies in 2010, 11, you know, started doing that. I was an EOS implementer for quite some time. Uh, and then I had to uh, sort of part ways with what EOS was doing only because I realized in the dental space, when I really started honing in, there was a bigger need in the dental space for a lot more leadership and management training and a lot of communication training, things that would help these people see and identify what's possible for them. Because a lot of them, if you ask them, "Am I? you want to lead, you want to manage? A lot of them said, no, I'm not a good manager. I'm not a good leader. And they leave it at that. Like they have this belief system. They're not that. And it's like, anybody can be anything because everybody is trainable. <laughs> so, so you're obviously not a dentist. Do you no. think your position as an outsider to the dental industry gives you a unique insight? Where it really kicks in and helps is that I've seen a lot of industries. So I, I've literally seen a lot of different organizations uh, in various aspects from you know real estate to gyms to other types of businesses. And then of course, the big boys as well. And I've noticed the things they do well and the things that they struggle with. If when, what I've noticed in, you know, from, from coming with the perspective I have is just like the dentist where the doctor that started it most likely is a very skilled technician, very skilled at what they do. And they felt that they can do something better, faster, cheaper, whatever. They can do something in a bigger way for themselves by owning a practice. Right. There was something out there that either they get to control, they have a say in how things are going, they get to establish the core values and the, the culture that they want to have. They get to treat people the way they want things done and not under the guise of the thumb of somebody else. So that is that's their world. Well, that's true of all small business. And so they're not alone. And a lot of times they think they're on this island and like, well, we're dentists, it's different for us. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's it's the same for you as it is for the plumber, as it is for the HVAC system, like all of these small business owners who are technicians of trade, who started their own business, have the same headaches and problems. Y'all got people, right? That <laughs> starts with that. <laughs> well, so so we we talked, you and I have talked before about this, and let, let's just use a non-dental example. So my plumber, um, you know, and I've got five kids, so we, we have uh, our sink was just clogged uh, today, and we had to have the plumber on. He's a one-man crew. Uh, he has an employee or two, but they never stick around because he has pretty high standards. But he's not the plumbing company that has 100 employees because he realizes that work that works for him. But in many res- but he's not independently wealthy mm-hmm. like the guy who owns the plumbing company likely is. And so as you and I talked, you know, we both have many clients or have talked to many people in the dental world who they basically own a job. They might make, you know, a good income, but they own a job versus the guys or gals who are business owners, but happen to be a dentist. And they tend to have seven figure incomes. And so speak to that a little bit about what you've seen and the challenges and growth that they have to make that jump. Absolutely. Well, the first thing we'll always point to in his reference, and it's a, it was a great uh, book, is Kiyosaki's The Cash Flow Quadrant. And a lot of people have seen it. Some haven't. Amazingly, a lot of people still haven't done that. They haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad or anything like that. But the cash flow quadrant, when it talks about the four quadrant, starts out with, as you know, there's the wage earner. All right. Somebody starts, they work for somebody, they get a W-2. They might even get a 1099, but they're still a wage earner. Right. Then we move down into the business owner. This is somebody that owns their own business but the business owns them. The self-employed. They only make money when they're working. If they take time off, the money stops flowing. That's typically what somebody who owns a job, 
right? That's what that's what that looks like. And then we move up into the third quadrant, and that's a business owner. But there's two phases of business ownership. One is where you have a lot of people working for you, but you still do everything. You're the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. Everybody looks to you. That's not a CEO business owner. That's still you own a business with a lot of people. And usually you can feel the headaches involved with a lot of that because you get a lot of people relying on you to be the director, to be the the buck stops here individual. Then you see the morph and the migration into what we like to call the CEO. So some of these people, like you're talking about these business owners who they, they make seven figures, they really do quite well and they sleep at night. They don't have to have restless nights because they have a team of people doing the things that they were once doing and they've been empowered to do it properly. Like I have one client, he works two, he sees patients two days a week Mm -hmm. and he makes well into the seven figures. Absolutely. Well, figures. And that's, and all of this is a progression, right? You know, it's, it's, if the business demand is there, either you're going to fill it or you're going to get people to fill it. If you're doing a good enough job and growing it to where it's more than you can handle and you're willing to take on that initial phase of bringing people on to actually handle that and train them properly. The biggest thing I see with most entrepreneurs, they're fearful of hiring somebody to do the big job that they'll hire assistants. They'll hire people that can do the side step, but they will not hire somebody that does what they do because they're fearful that they can't do it as good as they can. There's so how much of this is... Um... Being a control freak and being afraid to let go of control. I'd say probably 80 to 90% is them uh, feeling like nobody's going to do it as good as they can, and it's going to damage them or their reputation. They feel like this is going to let people down when in and fact- are they ever right? Never. <laughs> never. It's, it's a fallacy to think that nobody can do it as good as you can, right? There's always somebody hungry enough and willing to do it as good as you are. Now, there's also a fallacy that you have to do it as good as you do it. There's a difference between perfection and getting the job done, right? Too many people, they get in this perfection mindset. Like they believe that the level of um, competence that they're operating at is perfection. And that's just not the case. There's, 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 there's too many moving parts all the time for anything to be perfect. There's good enough, right? And that's getting the job done. And that should be the goal. Good enough means you're meeting the, the needs of the people you serve, you're meeting the needs of the people who work for you and help you serve them. That's being good enough. You have to at least at a baseline be there. And then you can start to pick and choose what you want to excel at and be excellent at, right? That sort of thing. So when you when you go to work with somebody, so let, let, actually let's step back. Who is your typical client? What type of dental, uh, pra- it's, it's a practice owner, but what type of dental practice is your typical client? So it's more or less, it's somebody who is hungry enough that they want more out of life. They want, they see that they see a bigger picture. They have no idea how to create a vision and craft it and go after it. They're just not sure what that even looks like, where to begin. They don't know what it means to hire people to do the, to do the jobs that they're doing, that they're fearful of handing over. It's those types of people. They just can't quite see the path to this flag out there, you know, they, I want to retire with, you know, 8 million or, you know, $10 million in the bank. And it's like, great. You're going to work your way there or are you going to build something that produces that for you? So how many people end up calling you because they, they figured out how to market, right. And they, they put, they invest a lot of money in marketing and now they're, 
busier than know what to do with and they're working five days a week when they only want to work three and a half days a week and they're overwhelmed and they can barely keep their life going or, or manage their life. How many of those people end up calling you? A lot, a lot of people do that. And, and what they end up doing is this is somebody who's hungry enough to go after it. They're willing to take the risk and they do it and they hire people to come in. And then all of a sudden they'll lose an associate. And now they're filling the associates work and they're doing that. And the work is still there. They built it out. They got nine or 11 or 13 ops going, uh, that sort of thing. And you know, they've got not enough associate base to handle it because they'll lose some and stuff like that. So anybody that feels like all the weight of the shoulder or the world is on their shoulders, if they feel that way, they're ideal for, for somebody like me. Because when I come in and I start working with them, I start letting them know that, look, this does not have to be carried by you. Because the business in and of itself with all the people that you have, whether it's five people, 15 people, or 50 people, doesn't matter how many you have. They're all dependent on this business to succeed because this is where they all get their sustenance right? We all need money. This is where they get theirs. So in essence, they all have a part ownership or a stake in seeing this business succeed. So why not build it with a structure that allows them to participate in the success of it rather than just be bystanders and let you do all the work, right? Especially the management work. What do you see when you hire, when someone hires you, what do you see is usually the biggest issue right away? Communication. I think that a lot of times communication, there's, there's a lot of times in businesses, people have really good ideas and they don't know how to articulate that necessarily in a way that gets other people to jump on board with what they want to do. From an owner's perspective, they've got an idea of what they want. I mean, they, they know they're like, man, I'd like to have multiple offices. I'd like to do this. Like they, they know what they want. They don't know how to articulate that to other people to get them to buy into that. You know, they say, you know, we really should open six days a week. Most of their staff throws a revolt, right? It's like, you want to do what? No, I'm not working weekends, blah, blah, blah. You know, and all this kind of, it's like, there's a way to get there. And it's not by just announcing it, that this is what we're going to do, right? There's a way to get there when you can show people the value in doing it because it helps them fulfill and live out their purpose, which usually in a dental space is about helping people, right? I always say in this, like, the dental business is a people business. If you don't like people, then Mondays really suck. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's one of those situations where, um, you know, like when I talk to dentists, it's like, they're never taught anything in dental school about finance, about running a business about any of that. And of course they're not talking anything about management. And I've talked to numerous dentists and they hate managing people to the point where they're trying to sell their practice when it's not even really that valuable to try and uh, trying to sell their practice so they can just get out and whether that means go be an associate or, or do something else. And right. so speak to that for a minute. So if you really look at the business, this is your biggest income producing asset you have. It's, and by it's, the way, it's the highest rate of return you'll ever get. Oh, it's fantastic. Investing in your business, hands down. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you invest 50 grand into your business and you're producing a million dollars a year and you can get a 10% growth, your return is in the first year. That money comes back 100% in the first year, right? The break-even is like six months, right. right? I'm doing it. How many investments can you make in the stock market that do that, right? In places or, or like- just about anywhere. Exactly. So when we look at it from that perspective, but here's your biggest producing asset. Why aren't you doing everything in your power to optimize it so that you can get the most from it? Not only that, but we serve the most people, we build it in a way that accommodates the most people, that we hire as many people as it takes to do that, 
who also believe in the same thing that you believe in, i.e. helping these people and doing good by them. And then that you want to take care of that staff as well along that journey and doing that. So it's, here's your asset that you've spent this time building. And now you're thinking to yourself, I want to get out. Why would you get out and leave it half-baked? Would you sell your house by leaving it a mess? If it needed painting, if it needed you know, to be cleaned, if you needed a cleaning crew to come in, would you just say, screw it and just put it on the market and see what you get for it? Or would you clean it up? Would you do some of the things that would help bring more value to it? And so when it comes to your business, that should be white glove. You should be putting the white gloves on saying, what can I do to make marketing better? What can I do to make the patient experience better? What can I do to make my employee experience better? What can I do? To, you know, and you, you just fill in the blank with what can I do? Well, imagine if it's not just you doing that, but it's a whole team of people doing that, i.e. your staff asking that of you. What can we do to make this better? So what's a common belief that most people in the dental industry have that is completely wrong? I would say the number one thing, I, I think they believe that they're, they have to work till they're 65. And then that's the retirement timeframe. So many of them have been brought up through that ranks and they've got a whole treasure drove of people who've done exactly that. They have seen the doctors come out of school, they get into a practice and they own that thing until they're 60, 65 in that time frame. And then they, they sell it off to another doctor for a couple hundred thousand dollars. There's not much in the sale. We've seen this go. And they'll go through this demise of where they'll build it up. They'll have this nice running practice. And then in their fifties, it starts to decline, 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 decline. And then they'll sell it and do all that. So the myth is that's normal. That is anything but normal. That is anything but normal, nor should that be your goal. And you don't have to work as hard as you think you do to get there. You don't have to be the one bent over and hunched over. And with all the ailments that come with the type of contortionist bodies that you guys have to put yourself into on a regular basis, same thing with hygienists. You know, it's like y'all, y'all bent over people constantly to do that. Well, you don't have to be that person. You can be the person that starts to bring people on and start and let them, the, the young bucks come in and help them develop into good doctors and let them pay off their student loans by working longer hours like many, like you probably did as well, that sort of thing. And you can start to pick and choose what you want to do. You so the lot, a, a lot of people, it's like, you know, obviously the DSO, uh, the DSOs are, you know, buying everything in sight and, and I can't blame someone for for selling when it was offered. Now, I'm personally not a big retirement guy, and I think everyone has a different perspective on retirement, but I, I'll never stop doing something. And so Correct. for me, you know, if I was in a dentist's shoes, something I would consider doing would be like my friend who makes close to $2 million a year. He works two days a week. He has several associates and he's like, I've got young kids why would I ever sell my practice now? And he goes, you know, um, he, he says something that I say a lot. Um, and and we, we both said it independently of actually hearing it from each other is like, why would you get rid of the golden goose? Mm -hmm. And so if you can build a business and manage it where you can live that quote, retired life, but still make the money like you own it, I think that's a compelling argument to not sell to a DSO. Now, everyone's situation is different, and I understand that. But through working with a guy like you, 
you can help people build a practice like that, correct? Absolutely. In fact, one of the things I tell everybody is before you sell, you got to run the numbers. What do I make now from this business on its growth trajectory? What does the future look like? But right now, what do I make right now? What are they offering me? And if the after the tax consequence of whatever they're offering me, if I can't make the same kind of money that the practice is generating, well, then it's a dumb idea to sell. Right. I mean, it's a you're comparing two investments. Well, and, <laughs> and the control. Here's, here's you in charge of a practice that you know the business well. Here's you taking your money and going to invest in, in other things, this big lump, lump sum, into things that you don't know well. If something goes awry over here, and that's where all your future is, and you don't know what to do, it's going to cost you a lot of money to try to salvage it. If something goes awry over here in the business you own, and the one that you're smart in, and the one that maybe you're not even practicing anymore, you just own it, you know what to do if something doesn't go wrong, or if something doesn't go the way you want it to. You can step and you can always go back to the chair if you had to, right? But I believe if you bought a single family residence and you're using that as an investment tool, I don't think you want to go fix someone's toilet, right? So when you look at it from those perspectives, we have to always evaluate the sale. And there's never a time when you're building a business that you should not build it to sell it. But you don't always have to sell it. You build it like it is, and it will run with or without you. If you've got the kind of business where you can go take a three or four week Mediterranean cruise, come back and there's more money in the bank than when you left, you've built it right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me um, kind of pivot here on a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give a new dental school graduate? This is probably the best piece of advice I got for my MBA and all the money I spent getting my MBA this one thing stood out more than anything else. Figure out what you're good at and hire the rest. And when I first heard it, I'm like, no big deal, right? Like, sure, you know, everybody shares that. That never proved out to be more true in my life. And I saw it over and over and over again in business. You know, it's funny you say that because it's been very cliche to say, follow your passion. And, um, you know, I heard somebody say, they said, you know, that's only said by people who are already independently wealthy. And I thought that was a fair retort because it's like, like, I know hockey is your, one of your passions and you play hockey three nights a week. Well, you're not in the NHL. You're not trying to be a general manager for the Tampa Bay Lightning or anything anything like that, but you're really good at doing what you do and your passion you do as a hobby on the side. So it's like, you know, maybe you're really good at um, photography, but that doesn't mean you have to go be a professional photographer. You can just do it as a hobby and then go, you know, maybe you're really good at, you know, doing dental work. So it is a perspective. It's a really good find out what you're good at. And then because you'll always be able to make money at what you're good at instead of having to try and figure out how to make money at what you're passionate about. So I have figured out the secret of how to make your work life wonderful. I figured out the secret. You make a list of every role you've got. You check off the ones that you really like to do, like and love. And then you put little nicks next to the one that you absolutely despise doing. And you get somebody else to do those. As you start to whittle away and have somebody do the things you don't like, all you're left with are things you like. When you've done that, you found your sweet spot. And that's brilliant. Delegate things or hire things, hire for things that you don't want to do. 
and delegate those things. I mean, it's there's one other caveat to that. Just because you like to do something doesn't mean you should be the one to do it. Sometimes you're not the brightest <laughs> light bulb. Or you're not that good at it. <laughs> you're not as good as you think you are at it. Right. So you have to be good. If you like it, you have to be good at it or you have to get good at it right. in order to keep it. Otherwise, you need to give that off to somebody who can do it better. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the greater good, not just you. Yeah. It's about the greater good. All right. So I'm a big reader. Um what books would you recommend? First of all, have you what what are you reading now? If anything, what, what's a great book you've read recently? But then follow that with what book you would recommend uh, any dentist read? I read well. First off, everything in Pat Lenciani's library. He's got eleven books. All of them are good. But let me start with the one that I think that all uh, all doctors, any any doctor that well, I don't care for whether you're going to be an associate or whether you want to practice. If you're a dentist or somebody who's going to be a high net worth earner, you need to read Cashflow Quadrant. You need to understand where you are and identify that. And it's okay if you want to be that W-2 guy. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what you want, right? Because you can find happiness there and do that as long as you start taking advantage of quadrant four, which is the investor quadrant. These are things that people like you and others that help people see how you can take whatever it is you do have and grow it into a lot more, right? You help them with that. So that book there helps them see where I am. And it allows you to make choices. The next one, though, is by Pat Lencioni, is The Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive. That book is the foundation of all the different management systems that are out there, whether it's EOS, Scaling Up, which is a former Rockefeller Habits, or uh, Results.com. And there's, there's a, for, for, every, for every thought there is, there's, there's at least 100 different management systems out there, at least. And you know, even the TSG method that we work with, uh, that's designed specifically for dentists, um, we all base this on that book, The Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive by Pat Lencioni. I believe that's a must read for everybody. And, and if you're in business and you haven't read that book, you're missing out. And that's one that I even have when you're a business owner, you have your staff read it too. Because if you implement that kind of a strategy for yourself, at least they'll know how to play the game. I would love it if my employees knew the game we're playing so that they can play to win. Right, that sort of thing. That's that's the book I would do. And for communication, I'm a huge fan of Change Your Questions, Change Your Life by Marilee Adams. Um, I think I read that book. I remember for a period of time when I first read it, I read it like 10 times in eight months. And every time I read it, it's a minor. And it, it's it's a mindset shift from judger to learner. Um, Marilee is a psychologist and she's she runs all kinds of programs and things like that. But it was probably one of the most inspiring books I had just for myself. The personal change I was able to make in myself about me being judgmental versus just making judgments. We all have to make judgment calls in business and life. We make judgment calls, but we don't have to be judgmental. We can be in learner mode, which is seeking the outcome you want. It's very, very different. So uh, it's just uh, th- those books right there would be a great starter kit for somebody. Cashflow Quadrant, Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. Three good books that will help start to steer and shape uh, a potentially better future for those that are stuck in what they feel the doldrums. That's great. Now, if listeners want to connect with you, how can they do that? 
Uh, they can do it at High Speed Consultant. Uh, we were highspeedconsulting.com. That's where we have our, uh, our kind of our overview of who we are and what we do. It's a, uh, a community of consultants who are dedicated toward working primarily with dentists. We do do some non-dental, but it's primarily dentists. That's the focus that we like to put it on uh, because I, I, we've identified a long time ago that if you just stay focused on something, we now know dentistry really, really well why would you venture away from that, right? It's kind of like when you're a dentist, you don't go open a plumbing shop, right? Right. Or a shoe store, right? Right. Unless your wife might, but you're not. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we stay focused and niched on dentists because there's a couple hundred thousand of them here in the US and a lot of them could benefit from the help that we provide. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of opportunity for everybody. Absolutely. So, well, Frank, I really appreciate you being on. It's been super interesting having you on. And uh once again, I appreciate your time and listeners. Frank is a great resource. If you own your own practice, he's absolutely somebody you should uh, be talking to. Thank you very much, Ross. Pleasure. You're being welcome. Here. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brand. We'll see you next time. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 161390032. 2021-1195-35. Expires 423. That last part can also say 2021-119535, expiration April 2023. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311-850-562-9075. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. 2021128420. Expiration 1023. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. dot <laughs>